you're listening to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Brian Hyatt, a veteran writer over at Rolling Stone. He's written just an incredible amount of feature stories and cover stories about some of the most famous musicians and actors and just miscellaneous notable people going back a pretty long ways and we'll get into all of his career and you know just the the dynamic of talking to very famous people and very sensitive artists etc uh, etc et it's a good one it was really nice talking to brian um, i used to work at rolling stone very briefly so it was it was just kind of nice to just reconnect with brian a bit um Next week's episode is going to be a new Dan Pilled, going back to uh, me and Jesse Hawkins' uh, little periodic Steely Dan series. And we're going to have a third mic on that one, a special guest, it's going to be Carrie Corrigan. And uh, yeah, it's, the, it's a new angle on some things. And uh, yeah, and also just as a reminder, if you want to get all the bonus episodes and just the, all the old, old mini series and all these things, behind the patreon paywall it's a uh, patreon.com slash flux blog hit it up but uh right now let's get right into it with brian Hyatt. brian can you tell people who you are and what you do Sure. Uh, I'm Brian Hyatt. I'm a senior writer at rolling stone i also host the rolling stone music now podcast and uh, how many, so you've done like a ton, a ton of cover stories and features. Like, wh- do you have a account? Do you know? I know I've sort of kept track of the cover stories. I know it's around 70, uh, which is, I think it might be the all-time record. It's either the all-time record or basically tied with David Frick. It's definitely the that, most. That was, that was my follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's definitely the most anyone's written this century. I know that much, but uh, I'm pretty sure I sort of, I don't really want to take David's title on this. So I'm sort of just like letting it ride, but it, it's certainly at least very close to the all time record, I guess. And when did you start? When were, What was your first year at Rolling Stone? <laughs> I usually, I usually, uh, for the sake of the podcast, I can, I can talk about it, but yes, uh, 2004. I, I try to I try to remain vague on Twitter and stuff because it frightens the young people. But uh, yes, 2004 was my first year at Rolling Stone. Yeah, and you have stayed there the whole time, which is I think just amazing. Just uh, as a just being in media to stay in one place that long. I mean, it's not just you. A lot of people have been at Rolling Stone a very long time. A few. Like, what is that like? I guess. Uh, I mean, as a person who's been laid off from Rolling Stone. Uh, yeah, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't discount the uh, the element of of luck, and uh, and I also just in general don't overlook how fortunate it is, and I don't take it for granted. Um, I think it's just I've just done a lot of I've I've really played a lot of different roles over the years at Rolling Stone, and I think that's sort of what it is. And uh, you know, I've just been really lucky, and and. Uh, it's it hasn't felt like all one job just because there's been so many changes. I mean, I was you know I did have a bunch of jobs beforehand. I you know there's other people like uh, my colleague Andy who has only worked at Rolling Stone and has worked there almost as long as me. So I think Andy's uh, even more impressive, <laughs> honestly. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and Andy's amazing too. A- Andy seems like he was like really born for the job. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Andy's amazing. And, and uh, my colleague Sean Woods has, has also been there a long time. And Alison Wineflesh has been there a long time. There's a few of us. Um, but yeah, I mean, how the evolution, I mean, you know, so I started, I, I was hired because I had, um, I don't know exactly why I was hired, but I had basically before, before Rolling Stone, one of the jobs I had was uh, at SonicNet Music News and then at MTV, which was actually one job that flowed into the other because SonicNet was purchased by MTV while I was there. And, and I, I got a chance to do some really early online music news reporting, like at, basically at the birth of it. And that's not an experience a lot of people had back then. And so my first year or so, a couple years at Rolling Stone were really very news focused. I was doing, and crazily, 
And I had been an online person really almost exclusively until uh, before that. I, I, at Entertainment Weekly, I was an, an online staffer who ended up writing a bunch for the magazine. But I was a, I was always an online staffer. And so Rolling Stone, I was print and, and Rolling Stone was still coming. It was coming out twice a month, which it did until recently. And they were still in a mode where they were doing a lot of news reporting in print, as crazy as that is. And so I was just, you know, I was really churning out stuff for front of the book and doing some reviews and stuff when I first started there. And then I, I kind of, I, within a couple of years, I did my first cover story and then things started to shift. Who was that story? Who was the feature? Uh, that was, that was Pearl Jam. Uh, oh, in wow. 2006. Yeah. And that's like a pretty big get because they're not obvious. Like they don't, I mean, Eddie Vedder is not really love talking to the press. It was an interesting thing. I think what what sort of got me that uh, was in part that Pearl Jam were excited about talking to, excited might not be the right word, Pearl Jam liked the idea of talking to someone who it was their first Rolling Stone cover story, um, as opposed to, a, they, they had had a lot of bad blood with Rolling Stone. So that felt fresh to them. Um, yeah, I imagine I mean, that one story that was kind of like kind of a huge write around with like Eddie's backstory was probably the, the main sticking point. Yeah, the, mine was incredibly. And this is where the weird thing when you sort of step into the history of these things before you were on the outside of it, you know, and then suddenly you're inside of it. And so that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, the first story, which I was well aware of when I was just, you know, a kid reading Rolling Stone was this somewhat infamous write around where they talked to, uh, you know, like Ed's classmates and stuff and kind of painted a portrait that really isn't, you know, it's not, it really wasn't that scurrilous. It was just like basically <laughs> the ultimate 90s um, slur on him, which was that he was actually popular and happy in high school, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the 90s. As it turns out, Eddie Bear is a normal guy. Yeah, right. I mean, that was, it actually, it's, it's actually would be hard to explain to a, a, a member of Gen, of Gen Z what the problem was because the, the idea was that he was happy and popular and stuff. And they were like, they'd be like, so, and, but then the nineties you were supposed to be tortured. And there was, it was very strange actually. But anyway, that basically my story was the first Rolling Stone cover since that one. Um, so, and it, it also actually was, it and that's like a full decade between. Yeah. Something like that. And it, it's weird. Like when I starting a Rolling Stone in 2004, the nineties were very close at that time. You know, I, I don't. I only realized in retrospect, like how much closer the '90s were then than they were now. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was something that had just happened. It was just like it would be like working in Rolling Stone in the '70s and talking to people about the '60s. It really was the same thing, which is very weird, you know. Um, and somehow I couldn't quite grasp that at the time, it, it, like in the same way. But um, you know, and it, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing experience. I, I wasn't necessarily the, the hugest Pearl Jam fan in the early nineties. My thing was I, I, as a kid, I, I preferred, uh, I preferred Nirvana, <laughs> but I, I, I warmed up to Pearl Jam by the late nineties. And, uh, I, you know, Ed was incredible and it was everything that sort of a, a Rolling Stone cover story everything you kind of imagined drinking in his hotel room till 4am was the final scene. Uh, so it, it was, it was very special and it, it, it sort of uh, launched me on that path. Um, before that, I'd written a couple features for, for the, I, I'd really only written a couple features for the magazine at that point. I'd written uh, a profile of Franz Ferdinand. And uh, I, I think I wrote a pre cover story profile of, of Pearl Jam at that point, I wrote a profile of My Morning Jacket, but the first cover was was, uh, was Pearl Jam. What was the learning curve like, you know, from, you know, first starting to do this and then kind of doing it, you know, all the time for it just being like increasingly a central part of your job? Well, it's interesting. I mean, at Entertainment Weekly, I had written features and profiles um, for sure, but I wasn't in the regular swing of it. You know, I'd written one on, on audio. You know, this is all such ancient history, but, you know, on like I wrote a profile of Audio Slave. We, there was this um, supplement of Entertainment Weekly called Listen to This 
there was so much money at one point in the magazine business that like magazines were sprouting other magazines inside them. That's <laughs> that's what <laughs> Entertainment Weekly like sprouted this magazine this you know because they figured they get a few extra bucks for from like music related advertising by putting a music magazine within Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly. So there was this thing called Listen to This, and I wrote a few cover stories of that thing. I wrote I wrote one on Green Day. I wrote one. So I, I actually had a fair amount of experience when I got to Rolling Stone. Um, but you know, it, it was, there's nothing, the level of, of access, um, when you're really in there, when it's basically like, you're just gonna ask as many questions as you need to ask, you know what I mean? Which, which you still don't always get, but you do get not infrequently where you're just like, we're going to finish this. And so you're, you're just asking until late in the night. That's, you just have to get used to what that's like um, and, and to live up to the privilege of it, I guess. What is your kind of preferred level of access? Like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, there's a crazy answer to that, but like, you know, just within the realm of, of the reality of all this. Well, you know, I mean, I just did, I just did this cover story with Jack Harlow and I could not complain about the access. It was basically, it's like, it's, it's a level of, of that's close to, to all access, you know, where you're really just following them around. They get used to having you there. And that's what kind of happens. And, and part of the thing is, and this isn't all I do. I mean, these, these days I'm very focused on the podcast and other things. Um, but, you know, when you do do this, you you need to make yourself as much of an unobtrusive presence when you're not the in interviewing mode that, that people just get used to having you there. And you just, you're just there. You're there in the studio. You're there in his case, when we went clothes shopping on Rodeo drive, we were in the studio for, for many hours until like, I almost was like, it was, it was, it's tough. Uh, it's tough when you, especially these days to go to, uh, when you're on East coast time and it's 4 AM LA time in the studio, your, your brain starts to like turn into like actual gel. Uh, it's horrible. Um, but I guess that might help just being a chill presence in the background though. Yes. Just being um, exhausted. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and it depends though, because I think there's also for, I see the utility though, personally, and I'm not sure everyone does. I see the utility in, um, in the, in the Q and A as well. And sometimes for, you know, I, I did, when I did, I did two Taylor Swift cover stories. The, the first one was really very much like this. I spent a, it was 2012 and she wasn't, she was very famous, but very, very famous actually, but wasn't, you know, the, the level of, of goddess that she is now. Uh, and, you know, I spent preposterous amounts of time with her, same with Gaga, same with, but, you know, and then, but the, the, in 2019, it did, even if even if that was feasible, it just doesn't seem necessary. I what 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 you really wanted from Taylor Swift in in 2019 was just to have her talk, you know, and so just to sit with her. And that's why I pushed to do it as a Q and A because it, it was more she hadn't talked in quite a while, and that's you, you just want her words, you know. And so that that's actually you know an example. You you don't need to follow someone around for four days and that or or two weeks or whatever it is in that situation. You just need. It's a very focused in-person interview time and a little bit of time just to gather some scenes for the introduction. But to me, what do you, what yeah. do you feel artists prefer? Um, I think artists probably prefer, you know, uh, a photo shoot with no story. <laughs> like Beyonce. Well, I, mean, I mean, of the two options no, you, you laid out. I, I mean, I mean, like, look at, well, no, but just to expand on that for a second, look at, look at what Beyonce does. You know, Beyonce uh, did that. British Vogue cover, and there's actually more than she's given other publications recently. You know, she had like what seems to be an almost off the record dinner with the editor in chief, who's probably already her, her friend. Uh, he allowed her, she allowed him to quote one sentence that she said, uh, allowed him to do a very vague description of her album, the f- funniest thing I've ever read in my life. Oh, and God, then right. What, what, yeah. what was the thing? It was something about like uh, you hear cultures and also subcultures. Yeah, it was, it was just like, she turns it on and there's music. It makes you want to move. It evokes cultures and subcultures. The end. Like it's like it was. It was. Oh boy. It, but if you if you really want to know what an artist wants, that's what they want. If it's real, if they're as powerful as Beyonce, that's what they want. They, you know. Um, I I think I think a lot of times, I think 
I think artists who are great talkers appreciate the Q and A, um, you know, and, and I, I also think I just, I sort of, I, I'm, I'm somewhat biased towards the Q and A lately for reasons I can't quite, I, I feel like people are better able to read them these days. I feel like people aren't good at reading profiles anymore. <laughs> That makes sense because like a profile requires you to understand a whole lot of context and these things are all getting torn out of context. So to have a whole quote intact, it just kind of suits the world a little bit better now. Yeah, maybe that's it. And maybe it's just, it's it's hard to describe stuff without people disliking, screenshotting it and disliking the exact words used. It's, it's just, there's just something about the current moment that where I feel like the, and it's also like, honestly, like, I feel like I'm, there, there are profile writers who actually seem to enjoy when they don't get anything from the subject so that they can then like write and write and write like essayistic stuff that barely includes any of their encounter with the person. Cause they don't really care what they really care about is their take on the person. I think that's actually a very common mode. I don't have much interest. Yeah, I, in that. I wanted to ask you about yeah. that. Like, what, like, what do you do when you know you just come away? You've been with this person for a couple of days, three days, whatever it's going to be, and you just feel like, oh, I don't I have nothing. Well, I mean, or close to it. I mean, like, if I may be permitted a moment of, I mean, I, I guess what I'd say is, like, unlike some people, I pride myself on being a really good interviewer. Um, so if that happened, I'd just be like, I totally. I, I, that's never exactly happened to me. The the. You know, there's been maybe in the old days, once or twice, there's been a time, like Bruno Mars specifically, I remember thinking, like, I think I, I need one more interview with him. It just didn't feel like enough. And we went and and, and I, we booked a file. I, I got back with him. I, I flew out back with him. Um, but if you got nothing, then you're just not doing your job. If you spent three days with someone and you didn't get anything, then you're not good at your job. Or you're one of those people who really didn't care what they got because, like I said, you would just want to write an essay, you know? And that's fine. I mean, that's a mode. I don't really understand that mode. Like, I, I don't respect that mode very much, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I, I, I agree with you on yeah. that. Um, so, okay. So when you're talking to people, when you're, when you're going into it, do you have, you know, like, a thesis or something going in, you have an idea of what you want to get from these people or like, or how much of it do you just kind of just feel it out as it goes along? I think that one thing that's notable is that, um, artists, you know, and I should say like a lot of my profiles are not of musicians. They're, they're of, um, you know, actors or directors or, um, or kind of my favorites, you know, group profiles of, of various people in a TV show or movie. I, I love that kind of thing. Um, but the, I think that generally people sense it if you have a really strong sort of think PC agenda and they react against it. Um, I know that with, with Gaga, she had had a bad spate of people coming in and I'm talking, and this is a decade ago easily, but she had had a bad spate again, a bad spate of people coming in with like, very fixed ideas about her and she could she could sniff it immediately and it made her, her very uncomfortable and she appreciated that I didn't seem to have one, which I didn't. Um, and I think that's one reason why critics, I've done some criticism, but I haven't written a record review since 2009, I think. Um, critics, critics sometimes struggle with the profile format because they come in, because A, they come in with very, very strong ideas because that's their job, part of their job. And B, they may not ultimately care that much about, again, about what the person says. They really care about their chance to sort of um, expound on them, and which means that the actual encounter isn't that important. Um, or you're finding quotes to support your, your right, critical perspective. Right. But I, I, think, I think generally artists, if they bristle at anything the most, it's one, it, that's one of the, the things that's when – you, when you have like some kind of like super – thesis on them and you're looking for stuff and it's clear that you're sort of as you talk to them that you're looking for you know stuff to support that thesis people can sense that and it's a huge turnoff because they want to be seen it doesn't mean that you have to write it in the way that they see themselves but you have to be able to convey that at least for the purpose of the conversation that you can see 
them the way that they see themselves. And you can ask questions within the frame of how they see themselves. If you break that frame, then you lose that coherence of the conversation and they're not going to uh, open up to you, you know? And again, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, absorb their point of view and write from as if, you know, write from their point of view or endorse their self-image, but you have to understand their self-image or you're kind of fucked. Do you have like strategies that, you know, in place to make people feel at ease or, you know, just to kind of push them towards directions that you you want them to go in? It's interesting. I mean, a lot of this is stuff that can't be expressed or taught. I mean, I, I think it, it's sort of, I think some of it is just a very close attention to how they're reacting to what you're asking and circling things that are delicate, you know, and approaching them in, again in a way that they, that makes it seem like you understand them. And I, I guess ultimately what, going back to what I said earlier might be the answer, which is that that you're able to show empathy to how they see themselves that allows them to, to open up. And it is interesting on some level, most, most artists there, you know, there's Drake and Beyonce, there's a few, but most people end up doing interviews because there's something about it that is ultimately somehow appealing to them. And it's just a human need to be sort of understood and try to make yourself understood. And social media doesn't necessarily fulfill that. Right. They actually have the conversation and you're the proxy for everybody else. That's right. So who have you talked to the most over the years? I mean, you, you, you've talked, you've had like obviously multiple times with uh, Taylor Swift. Like, do you feel like you, you've grown a rapport with certain people? Yeah, there's certain, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's weird. You know, there, there's, I think I had a run of, uh, <laughs> I had a run of talking to you two a, a great deal. Uh, I spent a preposterous amount of time with, with, uh, with those guys. Um, I think that's probably run its course uh, just to, you know, but, but I spent, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking to the members of you two and, and got to know them. I, I've talked to Springsteen uh, many times, um, you know, and like he, he's kind of like your number one guy, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote a book. I ended up writing a book about him, so he's he's pretty big <laughs> in my pantheon. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot. Of, you know, there's a there's a bunch of people. Um, you know, and there's also cool things like you know, um, like even just someone like Kelly Clarkson, who I've never done a big feature on, but just by virtue of doing this shit for so long, um, I've talked to tell Kelly Clarkson over a period of a very long period of time many times. So when I talk to her, I say, I always remind her, you know, like we, we first talked when you were an American idol and, you know, and go there. And so there's things like that that are very cool. Um, but yeah, there's definitely people, you know, and, and there's, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple people and a couple bands who shall go on name that I do like text with, you know, because you, that does happen. Um, you know, and, and, uh, there, there's, um, you know, and I did have uh, one one incident where where uh, I got too friendly with a member of a band, and and they got mad at me when they I put stuff in a story that they felt wrongly, in my opinion, was off the record. Uh, actually, I know what I know they were wrong, but they felt that I was, and I think it was because we were too friendly, and and so they felt like I was going to implicitly protect them from themselves or something, and I which I wouldn't do. Um, so then I don't I don't talk to that band anymore. Um, <laughs> But so that was that was a lesson learned. That was kind of like an almost famous. Man, it was just some juicy blind that, item. That, 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 that was that was an that was an <laughs> almost famous uh, situation. But um, you know, and and uh, but but yeah, I mean, like people like like certainly like you know, Taylor will always. If nothing else, Taylor will always remember me because of uh, the car accidents we got in together, and she's been immortalized bizarrely talking about me twice on TV. Uh, so so there's that that whole weird thing. Um, but yeah, you you know you weirdly. I mean, honestly, for me, the coolest thing, honestly, was just like that. Um, like I interviewed Mark Hamill twice uh, for both of the first two uh, Star Wars sequels, 
And then when he, you know, and, and then he saw me in the, uh, he was doing some quick video thing in the Rolling Stone office and the publicist was like, oh, you should come by and save Mark. And, and Mark Hamill saw me and I was, I was giving him the copy of his new Rolling Stone cover story. And Mark Hamill saw me and he was like, hi, Brian. And I was like, I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know, like, like that's like, I'm good. I'm good now. That that's, that's good. Like, you know, um, Luke Skywalker is very aware of you. That's right. So, I mean, but you know, that's not like, honestly, that's, that's not what it's about honestly and it, and i think if that's what it was about for me then i wouldn't be able to do it this long um it's you know in general i don't i don't i certainly don't go around hanging out with famous people and i don't and i'm not trying to make them my friends and i don't expect it to happen um, so, so when you have an, a, a kind of a ongoing relationship with like you two or bruce springsteen and you know you really kind of get in their heads probably a lot of things that would not be public you're aware of. Uh, how does that impact the way you listen to them? Like, how does, does it feel closer to you or like does it demystify it in some way? It's, it's interesting. I mean, like you, just by virtue of, of doing this, not, not as much as you'd think. I, I like, I, I don't listen to much. I know you're a huge U2 fan. I don't listen to that much U2 uh, these days. Um, but uh you know, it's it's weird. Like sometimes, it doesn't affect it as much as you'd think because it's like once the art is out there, the art exists as itself. Um, and it's it's sort of like you know, like I'll see people who are very close to Bruce, uh, who've known him for decades, and I, I watched and I remember seeing them at one show. It was at the Hall of Fame anniversary concert, and. You know, they know him. They're friends with him. They're, they, you know, they see him every day. And they, he came out, and they were absolutely freaking out. It was. It's just like it's just different. It's just the person is never going to be as exciting just talking to someone as as their art is always going to be much more exciting than talking to them. In the end, they're all just people. Every single one of them, you know, and. They, you can be just as bored talking to one of the most famous people on earth as you can talking to your cousin, you know, because <laughs> they're just in the end. But I mean, seriously, you know, conversation is just conversation. And, you know, and I think that was a rebel. I, I remember talking to someone very famous uh, early on in, in Rolling Stone and realizing I was getting super bored. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, like they're not on stage. They're, they're just like talking about George W. Bush or something like they're boring me. Like, so it's just like it's it's a good revelation. You know what I mean? So, so let's, let's go back a little bit. So did you grow up reading a lot of magazines? Where Was this kind of a, an ambition for you from early on? I think, well, I mean, actually, specifically, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I loved, my favorite magazine was Spy Magazine, um, but I, but I, which is, I mean, I think a lot of people's favorite magazine actually is an amazing magazine. It's actually interesting to go back and look look at it because it, it, uh, it looked like shit by, by standards after the 90s. Like it, 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 uh, had very like lo-fi art design and stuff. Like it would never have passed later on. But I loved, well, I mean, that was, I loved Spy, but I also loved, I loved Entertainment Weekly a lot. Um, you know, Oh, it, the, the prime era yeah. of that, that's such a good magazine. I, I loved Entertainment Weekly and, and that was, um, that, that was a huge touchstone for me. Um, I, you know, I, I, I liked, I liked Rolling Stone. I liked Spin. Um, I, you know, and I also like my parents got a ton of magazines. So I read Time and Newsweek every week. I, yeah, I, so I read, I read a ton. Of, I never really thought about magazine writing as if you're talking about when I was a kid. I never thought about magazine writing per se as a potential occupation. Exactly, I, I thought of more generally about being a writer. You know, um, without without really having a, a a specific sense of whether that was even a feasible a career. I kind of really thought it wasn't, uh, which it isn't actually. <laughs> I mean, not, not really. It's just, you know, the best you can hope for is to get a little lucky. Um, but I, I don't recommend it to anyone, honestly. Um, because it, yeah. it, how, how to uh, completely clone your now impossible career path. Basically. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, it's even more so because it started off at, at like a very permeable, like early com that had no corporate structure. So it was easy to kind of like infiltrate your way in not infiltrate, but, you know, to like reach people there. And, and then, you know, it, 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 yes, it's utterly, utterly um, unrecoverable. It's, it's impossible to replicate. And it was already impossible to replicate within years. Um, and I think there's, yeah, I mean, I feel know, like that's true of pretty much any exactly. career that people would want. Exactly. Um, 
but you know and, and it's also part of like you know and the other thing is like looking at the reading the tea leaves and knowing like you know what uh like I'd really like to get my hands on that podcast, you know, <laughs> um, because I think that's, that's the form, you know, because that's really where people are moving their, their attention. Um, so, and, and you've been doing yeah. that for a, for a few years now. And like, what has that experience been like for you for obviously like the, you have listeners who now have some kind of rapport with you as opposed to you just being a name on paper. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, sometimes it, it's, Doing the doing an interview that goes really well on the podcast and specific it's it's not all you know there's a lot of a lot of episodes that are just sort of panel discussions, um, but when it's an artist interview and it's a really good one, I find that just as or more satisfying than sort of doing a big feature sometimes because it it's so naked you know it's really like on it, it's it's sort of like the um, it's sort of like doing this sort of like high wire version of the thing. You know, we're, we're, yeah, I, was, I was thinking yeah. it's kind of like uh, like nailing it in one take, you know? Yeah, it's it's so it can be really sort of thrilling. And it's also, you know, people really get to hear it in its most uh, in its purest form. Um, so I kind of I kind of really like I, I kind of really like that, um, you know, and, and I've done some I've done some video interviews. I don't particularly like seeing myself on video, but that's kind of cool, too, because, it, again, it's the same thing. It just kind of like unveils the process. And the process becomes the product, uh, and I, 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 I kind of like that. Um, and you know, I, I just I, I enjoy. I also enjoy the immediacy of it. The, 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 one of the frustrating things about big features and, and cover stories and stuff is is just how it's just, especially now when things move so fast, it's frustrating sometimes to do a thing that inevitably takes a long time. Um, it, it it just. It, it, yeah, it, like you have to actually have to write it too. Yeah, you have. Yes, you do, and it can be. <laughs> it it just it feels a little out of step with the state of things, and that's part of why it's not where a hundred percent of my energy is, is focused these days. So, but you still do write profiles, and you've been in this for a while now. So, what do you think? I mean, you're kind of touching on a little bit before. Like, what do you think? people wanted from profiles, you know, around the time you started versus now or anywhere in between? You know, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what anyone ever wants. I think that the thing about the magazine profile, the, the thing that we're still kind of grappling with, I guess, is that when, when people were reading primarily in print, the magazine cover story was a particular thing. It, it filled that glossy space in the magazine. It accompanied the beautiful cover shoot and every issue needed its cover story. And, you know, and it, so it filled this very specific role. There was a cover and it needed a cover story. And there, there still is. And we, we, you know, we, we have a very large print circulation and there's a lot of energy goes into the print product and it's a great print product. But it's just a little it's, different. It's very beautiful but, these days. If but, people have not looked at her, any kind of recent issue of Rolling Stone, it's, it's comes out monthly now, and it's kind of a beautiful object. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not. I mean, it's just not ultimately where the where most the majority of people are going to encounter the work. So once you free it from that format, I think we're still learning how that affects things, or if it should. You know, we've gotten much better. I mean, there used to be. It drove me, you know, I can say explicitly that it drove us, it drove me insane when we weren't, um, when we weren't putting them online. I used to go nuts about that. And it was, it was a business decision, but there was a time that we didn't do that until like 2015 or so. And it was maddening to me because I wanted people to read my work. Of yeah, course, that is a long time of, to wait because yes. the, the money being left on the table in yes. those cases. But I mean, I guess at the time... You know, the, the decision above my pay grade was that was, you know, they wanted people to subscribe. They wanted, you know, and, and now, but that was before there were digital subscriptions and stuff. So now that that kind of fills the gap. Um, but, but, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I just, I don't know what people, I don't think people know what they want from it anymore. I, I think that people have trouble with the intermediary of the writer now. And that goes back to the Q&A thing and what you were saying. I, I just, I think that people don't really like, 
I don't really care. I'll still do it. But I feel like people don't really like the writer to write. You know, they don't really care what the writer thinks. They just care about the quotes, if that. And so it's almost like the parts of the profile that aren't quotes are just annoyances to people, which doesn't mean I still won't write them and, and bust my ass to write them. But especially when you talk about famous people, I just, I, I really famous people, I feel like that's the truth. I feel like, I feel, and I feel like mostly it's just people just rather than enjoying the access and, and sort of, um, you know, allowing the writer to be their intermediary. They're just sort of annoyed that it wasn't them writing. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's different now. I feel like I don't, I, I just don't, I can't remember the last straight profile that people like really enjoyed or, or, you know, that, or that, or that the mass of Twitter or whatever was like, this is great. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I, I, I can think of yeah, one okay. that Jeremy strong one that was in the New York. Right. Well, that sorry. What I was going to say, the less straight profile that isn't like sort of a takedown like that one, that was a total, <laughs> that was a total takedown. Um, but yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I think maybe the world's over them. That's fine with me. And, you know, I, I can do other things. <laughs> I, yeah, you're moving on. No, you're moving on. for the record, that's a joke. Uh, for the record, that for the record, that's that's a that's a joke. I, I just I don't I don't. You're, you're evolving into Rolling Stones, uh, Terry Gross. Yeah. For the, I, I mean, <laughs> yes, and I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm more than happy with that. Uh, I, but I, but I I think no. I mean, honestly, I don't know what people want from a profile, and also. Well, do you know what you want? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, what I want from a profile is to, um, is to just, is to just reveal the person, you know, and just find out things you didn't know. You know, and that, that's what is a, the kind, what, are, what are some mind blowing things that you did not know that you learned from doing this, from doing an interview? I mean, I mean, obviously, there's probably a bunch, but like just yeah. No, I mean, you know, I think a great example was like the the Paris Jackson piece I did. Um, you know, it, it, I I think I think the I think the the Paris Jackson piece I did is kind of an ideal example of just revealing someone who knew and no one knew anything about, and and you know, just revealing to the world what it's like to be them. That's kind of almost the ideal. You know, right? Like a totally enigmatic figure that you're kind of unveiling. Absolutely, um, but you know, a lot of. I mean, I think, I think you know. And by the way, I'm, what my point about the my point about people um, not knowing what they want from the profile. The, the thing is that writers shouldn't really care. It is true that people don't seem to like what writers write about famous people, but that shouldn't matter because eventually that that will pass. You know, um, and you, you have to just. You have to just, you have to just make something great, and whether whether that is currently appreciated or not, you don't have to worry about that. And I certainly don't worry about that. So, so in doing the show that you do now, the the Rolling Stone podcast, you're often talking to other critics, other people, uh, you know, other other people on staff, but also sometimes like you know, if someone has written a book or something. And what is it like, kind of switching gears to talking to you know peers, but also just like people who are kind of you're kind of unpacking a, a critical idea with them. You know, it honestly, it feels like basically exactly the same skill. It, it doesn't feel that different to me. It feels like it's always the same thing. It's just, it's sort of like there is, there is sort of the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle in that person's head and your job is to pull them out. And it's to me, it's, it's like very close to exactly the same thing. Interesting. Do you feel like, you know, when you're engaging with that, like you get to kind of indulge your kind of uh, long dormant critic muscles. I mean, I'm thinking of the one you did just this week where you're talking, you know, about Drake's new record and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dropping in your own ideas along the way. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Absolutely. And then there's something about that that I'm more comfortable with than in written criticism for sure. Um, I, and what that is, it's hard to, I think it's because a lot of times I'm just, just as I was just doing with you for the record about profiles, just like just tossing ideas back and forth, you know, rather than laying them down in stone or screen uh, as this is your take on the record, you know what I mean? Which I'm less interested in, but it's fun to bat ideas around, you know, and to hear and to draw ideas out of other people, you know what I mean? It's just different, but absolutely it is. It, that is, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not incapable of talking about uh, music and movies and TV uh, critically. It's just not something I've, I just writing formal reviews isn't something 
isn't something I, I tend to indulge in. Yeah, I feel like the conversational version of talking about things, like a lot of times you kind of get to things, get to ideas that you just wouldn't really get to in the writing. There is that kind of like ping pong back and forth that can bring you to a much more interesting place too. Yeah, and I think that weirdly that that may be true of interviews now too. And that might be why I'm so at the moment enamored of, of Q&As and, and of sort of podcasts. Um, there's something about, there's something about the the current moment that seems better suited to that, and it's again, I'm I'm just I don't know what it is, and maybe it's in my head, but it it, it does seem it does seem like the, there's something about that that works better now, not always, but sometimes, often. So, you know, having done all of this, you're you're a you're a you're a big veteran at this point, and you've talked to most famous people, I guess. Like the majority of them, like, are there people that you desperately want to talk to who are kind of like white whales? Well, you know, like I, I came very close to doing a, at least maybe more than once, but I, I came very, very close to doing a, a Kanye cover story. Like I, I think I almost had the, I was supposed to go to Paris to interview Kanye like a long time ago. And I, I was totally prepared for it. I'd read his mom's book. And I was just like, I was, you know, I, I fully prepped up to talk to Kanye. And what, what era was this for him? You know, quite honestly, I don't remember. It was like, I, I, I don't remember, but it was probably the late, it was probably um, circa 2010, somewhere in there. Um, okay. But, so like tw- Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Around a, a big, big time. Um, but, and, and probably like the peak of my own Kanye fandom, I'm like, you know, like I was really, really into him at that time. And like you know what it just fell through as as things do, um, and so the problem is I don't really want to talk to him now. I want to have I want to have done that then. <laughs> yeah, or or, or me, you know maybe the Kanye of ten years from now will be. A yeah, maybe. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Too. Like like I, I don't yeah, really, I know exactly. like like Trump Kanye and after everything else we know about him, like it, it's just not the same. But that is an annoying one, just like sort of one that got away. And, and that, yeah, and then you can't get back because talking to him now would be a whole different guy. Uh, so that's one, uh, um, that's, that's, a, that's a big one, actually. And, and sort of, and I think all the more so because of that, that sense is like you can't get beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy Kanye back. And in Paris, you know, that would have been amazing. And, and so, so, I mean, not, I'm, you know, I'm not complaining. I've gotten to do so many great things, but, but like, if there's one that got, got away, literally it's that one. Um, and then, you know, like I've never talked to Bob Dylan. I don't know that I, I was like, just going to ask yeah. if you got Dylan. I couldn't remember if you had or hadn't. No. And I like, I probably won't ever. And that's okay. I, I think I, it's unlikely that I would come away from that conversation being like, that was great. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think it's much more likely to be like, well, that was, uh, that was a mess, you know? And, and so, and, and, you know, it's, it's actually also, it's not, honestly, it's not going to happen. Not at this point. He doesn't really do interviews anymore. He's very old. Uh, it's not going to happen. And I'm really okay with that because I, again, I'm not sure anyone has ever interviewed him and been like, that was an amazing experience that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he one of the kind of guys who has a lot of stipulations? Like, does he not allow people to record him? I know that was a famously a Prince thing. That was a Prince thing. Um, Dylan, I I think did something like that in the seventies, but not since. Um, So I I think you can record and everything. I just think that it, you know, it, it, it just, he's just, you know, he doesn't really want to give you a real answer about anything, even at this point. Um, and you know, and then you 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 ratchet it up to a guy in his eighties, like yikes! I mean, like I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, and so, so I'm okay with letting it go. For, so for me, it's like a long time. It's it's not about you know, it, it, it's not about checking off uh, people on on a list. But I but I did check off almost everyone, <laughs> though I wasn't trying. Um, but uh, it, it it's uh, it's it's definitely you know I I enjoyed doing I, I definitely enjoyed doing uh young artists um and people who are at the center of, of the culture um and so you know maybe it's it's someone who hasn't even made a, made a movie or an album yet yeah so is, is there anybody who's come up recently that you know you kind of have your eye on i mean as far as a profile i mean that's that's a good question i mean not, not like 
there's a few people, but I mean, like, you know, it, it's, I, I actually it would probably be inappropriate to, to, to say because there's other people who want to get their hands on them. So I don't want to start that fight now. Um, but yeah, I also felt like, oh, what am I? What am I? What am I yeah. Your editor? It's yeah. Like, hey, Brian, got any ideas? Yeah. Like, what do you want? But, we, we have we have, to, we have some magazines to make. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, what would be nice if if the the things I like most are when someone's like at the very center of the culture, and of course, the the culture is um, more fragmented than it's ever been. So it's hard, and that's also why I've been doing a lot of movies and TV stuff because it it that's a lot more. Um, it, it's a lot less niche. It, it sounds like almost everything in music is a niche now, you know. Yeah. Which is which is tough. Um, if you if what you're interested in is the center of the culture, because it, so, so okay. Yeah. So, so talking about the TV and movie thing, and you, you mentioned before that you really enjoy kind of having a kind of a, like a a group profile. Like, what is the dynamic of that? What is what is it like to do that? Well, it's, um, it's, and what, it's, is it's the, what is the what is the appeal for you? It's been a while. I mean, but I, I just think some of my best stories probably are like the one I did about Breaking Bad, um, the one like my first Star Wars one. Uh, there's I the last one actually was probably with the with the two uh, with uh, the two stars of Game of Thrones. All right, the Stark sisters. The Stark sisters, exactly. Um, Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams. And that was really fun. Uh, really fun, actually. And and a perfect, like, because sometimes it's like, if someone's 22 years old, sometimes you don't really want to read 5,000 words on just that person. But a really, really sharp, you know, 1,800 words paired with stuff on other people and like maybe an interview in that case with George George R. R. Martin and a few other people, that's a really satisfying piece. And I think that that, that piece is really fun. Um, yeah, it's kind of a meal, you know? Yeah. So it's like you get to weave stuff together and it's unique. Not a lot of people do pieces like that. And it's, you know, and it also honestly was back in the day when there were bands who were famous, they were, it was fun to do that with bands. Um, now there really aren't bands who are famous. So you're never going to really do, but you know, like uh, the Fall Boy cover I did was is a great a billion years ago is a great example of that, where it's like you're weaving around with the different people and profiling all of them, you know, and that that was that was really fun. Um, it, it's you know you're not going to really get that now, <laughs> you know. I mean, what, who would you possibly do that with? <laughs> um. Maybe the Stranger Things or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah, um, right. 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 Well. Well. Yeah. With a TV show. Right. Yeah. But you're not going to get that with a yeah. with a with a musical act. You know. Inc- yeah. I guess. Like. Like. I guess. I mean, you did BTS, right? That is that true. Was you? That is true. I did do BTS. So that was a that was a very interesting. Um, that was a very yeah. So obviously, I'm overgeneralizing. But but uh, you know, the thing with BTS is it was during COVID and they were in South Korea and I was in New York. So actually, I did that all by Zoom, uh, which was. Actually, I think that was that was the ultimate high wire act, and and the 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 fact that that came together well enough that that fans of BTS liked it. Uh, I'm very proud of that because it was a ton of research. It was talking through interpreters on Zoom. Um, it it was it was very very <laughs> it was challenging. maximum difficulty. It was maximum <laughs> difficulty. It was it it really was. I was talking about that with, and then the next thing I did was Foo Fighters, which was like you know guys guys from the same like guys who grew up in the same culture as me uh who, who i can talk to very easily who i've been aware of my whole life like it's just a whole like hilariously and, and obviously and, not knowing and, the importance and, of your taylor hawkins interview yeah, in the movie. well yes and and obviously not on obviously not on God, Zoom. I mean, if you yeah. didn't know that that's fucked up right no i did not know that <laughs> um but but you know like obviously not on zoom so it was like it was it was comically easier uh, after that uh, nothing will Almost ever like be a as, treat. Nothing will be ever as hard as that because um, because not only were they on Zoom, but but uh, they actually were masked. They actually were were, were wearing masks um, because they had interpreters in the room. So I was oh, uh, so I was talking to people. So you're not even able to really read yeah. faces, right? Yeah. So it was, oh, it was very. But you know the thing is, those are I love uh, for the, for the record. Sincerely, I I I, lo- I love those guys. They're the nicest guys. The guys in BTS. Um, and they they helped me get past those challenges, you know, of doing it that way. Um, and uh, it's a tribute to them that uh, that we uh, th- that we were able to make that so good. But and yes, if I, if if not for COVID, yeah, maybe I would have. But you know, I don't think I don't think they would. You're not going to get that level of access to uh, where you're like 
riding around, uh, you know, with each member for for days at a time. It's just not the way uh, that industry works. But but I but that was overall a very challenging and very great experience because I love being able to spend time with the music. I loved, um, you know, I loved uh, getting to know their fandom and getting to know those guys, and they're really, really smart and charismatic, and that was that was totally cool. Are there things that you know make you feel self conscious when talking to people? Like, does like for example, does age ever get to you? Like, like oh my god, I'm like twenty to thirty years older than this person. Like, like does that ever get to you? It, it doesn't, you know, maybe it should, but it doesn't. Um, because if you, if you know your stuff, it shouldn't be an issue, you know? Yeah. And again, you're, like, your focus really is like trying to relate. Yeah. I mean, relate, it sounds like you're the guidance counselor, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you're, you're throwing the, you're the hat behind and but, yeah. But connect, I guess is, is the thing. Yeah. Or I guess like you want them to feel seen. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, th- I think we can wrap there. Um, we covered a lot of ground. Brian, tell people how to find you and the podcasts and, you know, I guess Rolling Stone, they could probably figure out on their own. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm, you can uh, find Rolling Stone Music Now uh, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> and uh, I'm at Hyatt B, H-I-A-T-T-B on Twitter. Brian, thank you so much for your time. This is really fun. Absolutely. Thank you.